Well, once in a while, we have a wow experience with someone that leaves a lasting impression. A number of years ago, we were living in Lancaster, and we came into a, a medical issue that we needed some help with. And so we started visiting our, our local doctors and found out very quickly that what we were dealing with was, was out of their league. And so one of those doctors said, uh, here's the person you need to talk to, and he's at Johns Hopkins. And so we were, we were living in Lancaster, so Johns Hopkins was about an hour and a half away. So we thought, okay, this is, this is doable. And so he gave me the phone number and, and the name to, to call. So I put in this call, fully expecting that it was going to take like a week or two for them to get back to me. Because I'm thinking, this is, this is a huge hospital, people coming from all over the world. And so I remember distinctly, like one afternoon, uh, coming home from work, end of the day, and I called and I left a voicemail. Them. And so I'm thinking, okay, it'll just be a while. I'm just preparing myself. So I was shocked when the next morning, before I left for work, I got a call, not from a secretary or even a nurse, but from the doctor himself. This was like the expert. We found out later, this is like the world expert in this issue. He's invented, he came up with the surgery that people now use all over the world. He calls me, and, and so I explained to him, here's our situation. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. You come down, and I'm going to give you an hour, and we're going to talk through what needs to happen here. And so, sure enough, we, we did. We went down and uh, spent an hour with him. He gives us a tour of the hospital. He's introducing us to nurses, and he says, here's what you can expect. And we laid out a, a game plan, a map, for what needed to happen. And so then, over the next several years, uh, we, we, he did what he needed to do, and we passed through that and doing great. And so now we're in the stage of just doing checkups every so many years. And I'm still wowed by him because even though we may not see him for a year or two at a time, we'll go in and he always remembers us. He remembers our situation. He remembers that I'm a pastor. So, and he always talks about my boss. Okay, he's, he's a Presbyterian. And so he'll, he'll be like, you know, we doctors, we do what we can, but he said, your boss is the one that really brings the healing. And so we have this rapport with him, and it's just been great. But it just totally wowed me, blew me away, because I thought, you know, this being a huge hospital and all, I, what I'm used to is kind of average care, right? And, and, and that goes for not just medical care, but I mean, just across the board. We're used to average. That's what makes it average. Um, but when somebody goes above and beyond, it kind of blows our circuits a little bit, and it makes a, an impression on us. I mean, you could probably think of someone or some experience that's happened in, in your own life that someone has wowed you, they've gone above and, and beyond. Maybe it's a customer service situation. Maybe it's somebody at your workplace and they're just kind of a, a step ahead of everybody. They just kind of are, are just a little above average. They just go the extra mile. Maybe it's somebody in your family that is so committed to your family relating well together. They just go out of their way to kind of fuel those relationships. So it's a good thing. It's a really good thing for you and I to strive to be above average, to, to wow the people in our lives. It's also a good thing to want to wow God. You may not have known that that was even possible. I mean, God's not surprised by anything, right? I was, I was talking with someone uh, who came up after the service to pray uh, a few weeks ago, and they were telling me about a situation in their life that has come up, and it, and it was a surprise. It was not something that was expected, and it's something that they're 
concerned about, and we, we prayed together about that, but they made this comment. They said, you know, I'm surprised by this. I wasn't expecting it, but I'm so comforted to know that God is not surprised by this. God's not caught off guard. And that is absolutely true. I don't, I don't think anything catches God by surprise. He's like, oh, whoa. But, but I do think, we're, we're going to look at a passage this morning where it says that Jesus was wowed by someone because of their faith. Because this person was coming to Jesus with a need, and they didn't just come with the need, they came with this faith that was above average. See, what happens a lot of times for us, I think, it certainly happens for me, is I'm coming to God with my need, but if I'm honest, it's, I'm coming with a very average kind of expectation that I'm not even sure can be called faith at all. I mean, I'm coming with my need and you come with your need. Maybe we come with a financial need. We come with a relationship conflict kind of need. We come with something that seems so big, we don't know how to deal with it. And so we bring that to Jesus. But our attitude in bringing it is kind of like, first of all, Jesus, I'm, I'm not really sure if you care. And secondly, if you do care, I'm not really sure if you can do anything. And so that kind of attitude coming to Jesus, we, we shouldn't expect that he's going to do anything. What we're going to see today is the opposite of that. We're going to see someone come to Jesus with this wow kind of faith that wows Jesus so much that he turns around and wows him in return. So we're going to learn from him. If you would turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some white ones there on your seat, and uh, Luke chapter 7 is on page 956. We're starting a new series today called Everyday Jesus. And I just want to make very clear from the outset here that we're not saying that Jesus is everyday, commonplace, ordinary. That's not it at all. What we're saying is, what we're going to talk about in this series is, you know, Jesus entered in the world in a very dramatic way. It was kind of a quiet way, but he entered very dramatically. Angels, born of a virgin, and so it was, it was dramatic. He ended his life on earth in a very dramatic way. In between, Jesus is just walking through life every day, interacting with people in everyday settings, and I want us to watch what he's doing as he's interacting with people in the everyday. Because you and I live in the everyday. Every day, right? And I want us to see how Jesus interacts with people every day. Because the way he interacted with them every day is the way he's available and willing and wants to interact with us in our everyday. And so what we're going to do for the summer is we're going to walk through three chapters in Luke. Luke 7, 8, Nine. We're just going to kind of walk, walk through those uh, sequentially. And if you are new to Grace Point, you, you may not be used to that kind of preaching. You may be used to kind of topics. And that's a good way to preach. That's a good way to learn. Um, and oftentimes we do that um, because we have needs in our life. And so we come to the Bible and we try to search out what does God have to say on this topic. That's a good idea. Keep doing that. Keep doing, you know, keyword searches and that kind of thing and looking at what God has to say about your situation. But it's also a really good thing to just walk through the scripture and just be reading the scripture constantly, not to say, God, what do you have to say about my situation? But just, God, what do you have to say? God, what do you have to say about what's on your heart? 
which may or may not be what's on my heart at the time. That's why we do expositional teaching too. So we're going to just walk through Luke 7, 8, and 9. Luke has some mighty long chapters in here, and so that's why we're only making it through three chapters. But we're going to work through that this summer and see what Jesus does in the everyday. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Luke 7. After he, Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Okay, so a little context here, because we're dropping in the middle of something here. If he, it says, after he finished all his sayings. So if we went back to Luke chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus had a very long sermon there that is commonly known as the Sermon on the Plain. It's, it's parallel to a passage in Matthew that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. So we think that these were in two different instances, but a lot of the same material. Uh, we think they're two different instances because in Matthew it says he was on a mountain, and Luke says he came down on a plane. So we think there's two instances, but Jesus used a lot of the same material. Hey, if you got good material for a sermon, use it over and over again, okay? So Jesus has just finished a very long sermon covering a lot of different topics, and he says after he finished all of this, he entered Capernaum. So Capernaum is a, a really pretty good-sized town on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. There were a lot of trade routes that ran through Capernaum, so a lot of traffic through there. A lot of, it, was a, it was a pretty good-sized place, a trade center, a lot going on there. So just so we have that in our minds, that this is not just a little town stuck somewhere. This is, this is a pretty good, good city. Now, verse 2. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now let's pause there for a second, and we need to let this sink in a little bit and understand who this centurion was. We need to understand how really crazy this situation is that the centurion would be sending a Jewish group of elders to come to Jesus who is a Jewish person. Okay? There's a huge ethnic divide between the Romans and the Jewish people. Okay? The Romans have come, they're occupying the, the land of Israel and they don't like it. I mean, the Jewish people don't like the taxes, they don't like the rules, they don't like that there's a foreign uh, presence there bringing in all of their, you know, culture that's awful. And, and so they don't like, the, the Jewish people do not like the Romans. And yet here is a Roman centurion who is, is friendly enough with these Jewish elders that they would send, he, he would send them to Jesus with a request. He, he may have felt like, I can't go myself because that's too much of an ethnic divide. So he's getting these Jewish people that, that like him to, to go. Now let's talk about centurion for a moment. Okay, centurion is a non-commissioned officer in the, the Roman army, and he was in charge of, guess how many Roman soldiers? A hundred, hence the name, Centurion, all right? So he has battle experience, he has authority, he has a bunch of people under him, but he's non-commissioned, so he has people over him. He's kind of in the middle there. And, and somehow, for some reason, he has earned the respect 
of these Jewish people in Capernaum. They, they say here, these elders say to Jesus that he has helped them. He has built their synagogue. So he must have some level of faith in the Jewish God, which is remarkable in and of itself because the Romans, if you know anything about them, they had this whole theater of gods, many to choose from. And so something attracted the centurion to, to revere the God of the Jewish people, and enough so that he built their synagogue. And he must have had some money, too, because he's helping them build their synagogue. So these are some things about the centurion to kind of uh, help us see that he's, he's a real, live human being. And then the, the last thing is to know about him is that he cares about people. I mean, first of all, he helped them build their synagogue. And then if, if we see again here in verse 2, um, it, it says that he had this servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Now, you could interpret that to think, well, he's a servant, and so he's highly valued as an asset. But really, the Greek word there is really better translated, precious. He, this, this servant is precious to this centurion. He cares about him as a person, and it says that he is at the point of death, and so he calls on Jesus. Let's read on in verse 6. And so Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, so another delegation, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He marveled at him. That's the wow. That's the moment when Jesus is wowed. He says, this, this guy is a cut above the average. The faith that he's coming to me with, that, I, don't, I haven't found that uh, very often. That, that word marveled shows up 43 times in, in the New Testament, and almost every time, it's because people are marveling at Jesus, at something that Jesus did. And so his followers marveled at Jesus that he was able to make the winds and the waves obey him. They marveled at that. They were wowed by that. People were marveled, they, they were wowed by the fact that Jesus could cast demons out of people. And, and when Jesus rose from the dead, it says that his followers marveled at that. No one had ever done anything like that before. So people were marveling at Jesus almost every time that word is used for people marveling at Jesus. Clearly, Jesus wows us more than we wow him. But it is possible. It is possible to wow him because Jesus marveled at this, uh, this centurion and the centurion shows us the formula for how to wow Jesus. So here's the formula. Ready? All you math geeks, you'll, you'll love this. Okay, here's a formula for you. Faith equals A plus B. Where A 
equals, this is scaring some people I know, going back to school, but anyway, faith, A is the attitude, and B is belief. And we're going to flesh this out. We're going to unpack what this is. Faith equals an attitude plus belief. That's what this centurion models for us. First, he, he models an attitude of humility. I mean, notice what he says in, in verse 6. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself for what? For I am not worthy to have you come. Now, it's interesting because do you remember what the elders said, the Jewish elders said when they came to Jesus? Back in verse 3? Uh, no, back in verse 4. They pleaded, they, they came to Jesus, they pleaded with them earnestly saying, He is worthy. He's worthy for you to come and do this. We have all this respect for him. He's worthy. But the centurion himself says, I'm, I'm not worthy. See, he doesn't buy into the voices that are speaking into his ears that, that really have the potential to puff him up. Think that he's better than, than he is. He, he doesn't measure himself by what the people around him say. He measures himself by comparing himself to Jesus. And recognizing Jesus, I, I am not worthy for you to even come. He comes with an attitude of humility. He comes with an attitude of saying, Jesus, I don't deserve to have you do this. See, how different from the attitude that we sometimes come with. I mean, here, here's how it works its way out in, in my life, just true confessions. I mean, with, with, for me, like sometimes things will happen, wheels will come off, um, trains will wreck in my life, and I, I'll say to God, I don't deserve this. Why, why don't you do something? You should be doing something about this because don't you realize what I just did for you last week? Don't, don't you realize what I just did for you yesterday? Don't you realize the long day that I put in? Don't you realize all these people that I listened to, all these ways that I served you? Don't you realize that I restrained myself from snapping at my kids? I mean, that was a big one. Jesus, I mean, you should, you should really be taking care of this. When I don't deserve whatever this bad thing is that's happening to me right now. But the centurion comes and says, what I don't deserve is for you to come and do something good for me. And that's the attitude of humility that, that we need to get right. If we're going to come in faith that wows Jesus, it's coming with an attitude of just starting by saying, God, you don't owe me anything. And if there's any sense of entitlement in my life that I've got something good coming to me, it's leaving that at the door and saying, God, you, it starts with, you don't owe me anything. That's the attitude that we need to come with. You don't owe me anything, but I believe that you can do what is needed in this situation. So that's the, that's the B, the belief that Jesus had the authority to do what was needed in this situation. So in, in, seven, in the second half there of verse 7, the centurion says to Jesus, just say the word. And let my servant be healed. All you need to do is speak it. And he takes his own experience of authority. And he kind of extrapolates that and says, Jesus, I know what happens when I speak. I mean, I'm a man under authority, he says. So I know what it means to answer to somebody else. I also know what it means to have people answer to me. And when I say go, they go. When I say jump, they jump. I know what it means to have authority. Jesus, I recognize you have authority. And so all you need to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. That's belief. That's a trust. 
So the question that I have when I read this is, how did this non-Jewish, this Roman centurion, where did he come up with this belief? Where did that come from? Because I want to have that belief, and I don't always have it. I'm not always convinced when I come to Jesus with my big problem that's too big for me. I'm not always convinced he can do something about it. Where did he come up with that belief? I'm glad that you asked that. Because the answer to it is that it has something to do with the fact that this is not Jesus' first time in Capernaum. Okay, If you would flip back just a page or two to Luke chapter 4 and verse 31, we're going to see a scene where Jesus comes to Capernaum for the first time. And I have a feeling this is what began to fuel this centurion's faith. So in verse 31, it says, He, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed. There it is again. They were amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Okay, so let's, let's put this together. All right? Capernaum, synagogue, centurion builds a synagogue, Jesus comes to synagogue, exercises his authority, drives out a demon. You think the centurion might have caught wind of that? Maybe he was even there to witness it. But these reports spreading throughout the region, he surely heard about it. And so when he comes up to a need in his own life, he says, I remember that there was a man who had such authority that he could drive out a demon. And so I may not have faith in and of myself, but I gain faith because I watched Jesus do this for somebody else. There's an old, old hymn that says, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. And so our faith at times is built because we see what God is doing in the lives of other people. When we need to fuel the faith in our own life for that big thing, that big need that's in your life right now, that you've been praying about and asking God to do something and move a mountain for you, but if you're honest, you're coming to him and you're saying, God, I want you to do something, but from my vantage point, this is so big, I don't know how anybody can do anything about this. You're bringing that to him and your faith is weak. That's okay. That's, that's normal. That's average. Okay, it's normal. But look around you and see where God is at work in somebody else's life. Because as God has worked in someone else's life, he's able to do miracles in your life. We do that as we read the, the biographies, the stories of Scripture. We do that as we see God at work in the lives of people in Scripture. They were just ordinary people. A centurion is just an ordinary person like you and me. 
And yet God intervenes and works in his life. We, we do that, we, we fuel our faith from the stories of others as we listen to testimonies of people today and how God is at work in their life. And so, a number of months back, back in the fall, we had, for example, a lady named Rhonda Carr share her story of a medical situation that she's dealing with still working through, but how God has brought her so far in that process. That testimony gave a lot of hope to a lot of people. More recently, we have one of our elders, Phil Anders, share his story, his testimony of how God is at work in his life as he's battling cancer. And he called me with the report this week that he had some blood work done. As of right now, he is cancer-free. Praise God. All of you guys who are praying for him, be encouraged by that. We see God at work in other people's lives. Back again in the fall, there was a a couple that was struggling in their marriage, the Dones. They shared their their testimony. If you're interested in hearing any of these, shoot me an email and we'll we'll connect you with the right date on uh, on the website. And you can listen to these stories again because our faith gets fueled as we see Jesus at work in the lives of of other people, and we could come to him and say, Jesus, I saw you do this over here. Would, would you work in my life now? That's the belief. Our, our faith is fueled as we are in life groups, and we're doing life together, and we're just sharing life day in, day out, and we're sharing struggles, and we're sharing praises about what God's doing. We're, we're up close enough to people that we can hear how God is at work in their life. We're encouraged by those things. So Jesus was wowed by this centurion's faith, his attitude and his belief. And so Jesus wowed him in return. The end of the story here is verse 10. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Don't you love that? It's like so matter of fact. No fanfare, no fireworks, just servant was well. Matthew, when he records this, he says that he was healed at that very moment. It doesn't even say that Jesus said anything. It doesn't say that he waved his hand in the direction of it. I mean, he just, that's the power and authority that Jesus has over illness, over demons, over all the obstacles and the difficulties in our life. He's able to just think about it and drive it away. So here's the question. For you this morning. What need is there in, in your life that you have been praying about? What, what obstacle, what mountain is there, what illness, what difficulty that you have been praying and asking for God to wow you? Maybe God is waiting for you to wow him. And, and this, this scene with this centurion is a good time for us to reflect and ask ourselves, what, what does my faith look like? Does, does my faith look like his? D- does my faith look like an attitude of humility? What kind of attitude am I coming to Jesus with? Is it a, is it a demand? Is it a, why haven't you done something by now? Or is it an attitude of of saying, Jesus, let's just start here. I don't deserve anything good from you. I I don't don't deserve it. 
And so if you decide to do anything good in my life, it's only because you're gracious and generous and kind. It's not because I did anything to put you in my debt. God is a debtor to no man. So let's start there with that attitude. And then let's believe. Let's believe that Jesus has the authority to do what is needed in your situation. And if you don't believe that today, that's okay. That's okay. But don't stop there. Take the time to remind yourself or get acquainted with the stories of others where Jesus has already worked in their life, where Jesus has exercised authority in their life. And then realize that the same Jesus is able to exercise authority in, in your life. Build your faith through listening to those stories in Scripture and, and in everyday life. The people that you know and love. Biographies, books, testimonies of people where God has been at work in their life. May, may Jesus marvel at our faith. May he someday when we come to him be like, wow, this faith is above average. Because then he loves to turn around and wow us in return. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your your mighty power. Thank you, Jesus, as you walked through everyday life, that you had such compassion and care for the people that you encountered, that you didn't just brush by them, you didn't just push on towards some agenda that you had, but really the people that you encountered were your agenda. And so as this centurion came to you with this request, you were so delighted to respond and to answer his prayer in the affirmative, to heal that servant who was precious to him. Lord, would you build into us the attitude and the belief that this centurion demonstrated? Build into us the attitude of humility. God, help us realize that we're not as big as we think we are, that we're not as entitled as we think we are. Help us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but to humble ourselves before you and come to you saying, Jesus, I don't deserve what I'm about to ask you, but I'm asking it, believing that you can do something here because I know you've been at work in the lives of others. I know you have the authority to do it. Lord, I pray for the person here this morning who's facing a need in their life that is so huge, it's been overwhelming for them. And they haven't been able to see any way around it. They haven't been able to see that anybody's going to be able to help them with it. Lord, may they bring that to you with an attitude of humility and a belief in your power. And Lord, may you show your work in their life in such a way that you wow them even as they wow you with their faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.